Welcome everyone to Deprogrammed on Unsafe Space. I am your host, Carter Laren, and I'm joined with my co-host, as always, Carrie Smith. Let's see if I can unmute her properly this time. <laughs> Carrie, are you there? Hi, Carter. I'm here. I'm here. Awesome. Welcome back. You and I have spoken. Uh, I feel like we have private shows during the week that no one gets to gets to hear. So we've talked yeah. about a lot of interesting things recently. But, well, we uh, definitely have a lot to talk about in future episodes, I think. Because I think so. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot that yeah. comes up. So speaking of future episodes, people can follow us on Twitter at Unsafe Show. They can go to um, unsafeshow.com. They can go to patreon.com slash unsafe space. Actually, we're also on BitChute, Gab, and Minds. Not that anyone else is on Gab or Minds or BitChute, but some people. Uh, so that's good. And and Facebook now, we have a deprogrammed Facebook page and an unsafe space page, I think. And there's a little bit of activity starting there, right? Carrie, yeah. Sort of? It's a, yeah. yeah, I think it's Unsafe Podcast on Facebook. Oh, is it? Or, or no, it's Deprogrammed Podcast, I think. But yeah, they, okay. they just look up Deprogrammed in Unsafe Space. Yeah, yeah, it, it should be easy to find. Anyway, uh, so today we're going to, uh, I think we're going to piss some people off today for fun. Mm. Um, <laughs> not I had a friend fun. say he's already triggered. Awesome. Well, I think he's kidding. Oh. <laughs> and we aim to we aim to please. You should already be triggered, everyone. So um, I'm gonna just I'm just gonna start outright. Um, uh, take a deep breath, everyone. So uh, this is Tess Holiday, and she was on the cover of Cosmopolitan magazine the other day, and she is a plus size quote plus size model, and this. She and others got Carrie and I thinking about this kind of, I'll call it pro-fat movement, body positive movement, um, anti-fat shaming movement. There's a lot to unpack there. And I think uh, Carrie said earlier that would probably have a nuanced show about mm -hmm. this topic. And I think that's true. But um, but I think generally it's it's we still get to trigger fat people. So. Uh, it's not going to be. It won't be so nuanced that we don't. I wouldn't say that actually. I mean, I would disagree with you right there. Okay, you disagree. Yeah, I don't think we're necessarily going to trigger fat people. I I know a lot of fat people who That's are not true. down with fat studies and fat the fat accept acceptance movement. I think it, there's a difference between fat people and fat activists. Just like there's a you difference. A, I would stand corrected. You win that debate. We will trigger fat <laughs> activists. Right. There's a difference people. between fat people and fat activists. Just like there's a difference between trans people and trans activists. Like not all fat people are SJWs and not all trans people are SJWs and not all women are SJWs. You know, it's like. So. <gasps> what about music loving women in Austin, Carrie? Do they all disagree with you? or The women, you know, the intensity. I think there's a higher than average percent of SJWs in Austin. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. But I live so, in I live in real Texas now. You live in real Texas? Yes. Oh wait, you're not in Austin anymore. That's right. right. Okay. So look, a couple things. I, I don't know where we really want to start here. Um, maybe we should start with what Carrie you mentioned. I think that got your, you know, maybe raised your ire a little bit was um this woman, I don't remember her name, but I'll put her up here. Uh this fitness mom fit fit mom, is that her name? Her, her name is her, her name is Maria Monica? Kang. Maria uh, Kang. Yeah. So she, um, yeah, I was talking about her because she posted the photo on the left of the screen. I believe 
if it shows up the same way for everyone else. Um, in 2013, she posted that online and um, she got just totally uh, mobbed by the SJW media, by the SJW social media. Um, there were tons of articles. They're, they're the ones that they started calling her Fit Mom. Her real name is Maria Kang and you can find her on Facebook. And she, she provides actually, she started all these free uh, workout groups for mothers to help them exercise with their toddlers. Uh, you know, she wasn't at, at the time, I don't think she was making money off of fitness, but she ended up because she's smart, turning the controversy into um, a, a career in a way. Um, but yeah, there, this was one of the first times before I left the SJW ideology where I really felt like, wait a minute, it, there were a lot of these moments I think I've mentioned to you before where so, they would make me question the belief system. Like, why are we attacking this woman? Um, but I still say that it wasn't enough to, for me to leave the belief system entirely, but I definitely disagreed with the mob at the time because they take this, this um, what's your excuse poster. And they basically said, this is fat shaming all other women, all other moms, um, anyone who doesn't look like her. I'm like that is, that's not what I read from this. Basically, this is motivational. This is saying, you know, no matter what issues you have and no matter what obstacles you have in your life, if you want to make your health the priority, you can. I mean, it's, it's meant to be like, you know, find out how I did it or, you know, come to one of my free groups if you want, like free workout groups. Um, and, and one of the biggest things that I think that shows the contrast in their selective outrage is that there's a similar motivational poster uh, do you have that one? Oh yeah. yes. Uh, yeah. Now this, this is a, this is a double amputee. Uh, this is uh, I'm blanking on her name, but she's a um, para Olympian and a model, and it's the same idea behind this poster. She's it's what's your excuse? You know, no matter what what you have to overcome, if you want to make fitness a priority, you can. This is meant to motivate people who want to get fit and are maybe thinking, I can't do it. I have all these reasons why. Um, and so I, I really just, it was over the top harassment of Maria Kang. And they ended up, Facebook ended up temporarily banning her because she posted something about uh, the obesity crisis. They said it was hate speech and they took her down <laughs> for a day or two. This is way <laughs> before Alex Jones was being censored. You know, they were censoring fit mom, uh, but so this was one of the first, I think, flashpoints around where, where the, we saw the fat, what they call the fat positive movement or the size acceptance movement, um, really using the language of the SJW ideology to go in and mob a particular person. So let's talk about this for a moment, because there has been this uh, <clears throat> movement to basically vilify anyone who says truth about uh, obesity or encourages anyone to be thin, right? Because it's not just, there's a difference between saying, uh, like mocking someone for being fat, like haha, fatty, blah, 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 like playground kind of mocking. You know, it's the kind of thing that if your kid did it uh, and you found out, you would kind of scold your kid and be like, you know, it's not polite. You don't, you know, you don't, uh, you don't make fun of people for stuff like that, right? That's, that's not a, that's not a polite thing to do. Um, so the, 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 there's a difference between that and saying, hey, um, I feel really great, everyone. I just lost 30 pounds, which is also vilified. It's put in this category of, um, like that hurts me to say, like it's, it's a, it's this fat, that's fat shaming, right. Or to say to someone, for example, uh, you know, if you love someone or you care about someone, you have basic empathy. Um, you don't just tell them to continue doing whatever they're doing. If that's bad for them, you encourage them to, to get better. And so, uh, 
if I had a friend, in fact, I have had a friend in the past, incessant smoker. What did I say to him constantly? Dude, you got to stop smoking, man. You're going to get cancer. This is like, this is not healthy. Cut it out. Stop smoking. Right. And, you know, I had a good enough relationship that I'd sometimes like steal his cigarettes or whatever. And like, you know, it was it was a, a little bit bantery, but he was well aware of my opinion about smoking. And obviously, it's not just my opinion. There's facts to back it up. He was aware of that. And I was like part of my job as a friend was to remind him because I wanted him to live a long, healthy life and not, uh, you know, have a hole drilled in his throat later in life and, you know, have to have be on oxygen or whatever. So, um, so there's that. And similarly, <clears throat> friends that I've had who've been overweight, like I'm, 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 uh, I'm more than I would like to be or more than I've been in my past. So I got, I have extra padage on me right now. And I've got a couple friends who, when we go through phases like that, we'll say to each other, like, dude, man, like, you're packing on the pounds there, buddy. You, you know, you might you may want to drop a few pounds. You're, it's not good. And there's this kind of acknowledgement and a little bit of peer pressure that's like, yeah, yeah, stop eating the cake or whatever it is, or mm -hmm. drinking so much or whatever. With guys, often it's they drink too much or whatever it is. So, well, with women, it's out of love that you tell people that. It's not to hate, it's not to shame them or to hate on them. It's like, hey, that's unhealthy. Right. Well, with women, I, I would say, at least in my experience, it's a little different in that um, I don't know any women who would tell another woman like, hey, you look like you've put on some weight unless it was super extreme and something was going on. Um, but I but I but here's what happens with women is there is this idea now that any type of fitness or any type of motivation to work out is verboten. You're not supposed to talk about it because it's fat shaming. Like you said. Right. And so it's an yes, assault on them. Your health is an assault on my unhealth. Yes, they call it triggering. So what you mentioned about uh, that's actually happened to me where I've had, I saw a friend on my timeline last year post something about, you know, she had been secretly secretly working out for six months, you know, and she, and she shared, she's like, this is really hard for me to share, but I've been working out and I'm really, you know, impressed with the results. And immediately some of our mutual SJW, like feminist friends were like triggering, like, I don't want to see your body image updates. And it, you know, it's like, whoa, she's celebrating something positive that's happening to her. And then you're taking it as an assault on you and what you're not doing. That's so right. narcissistic, first of all. And it's, I hate to say it, but it's the snowflake thing. And like, you don't need a trigger warning that somebody's about to post a picture of themselves in the gym. Um, but yeah, so with women, it's more of a like, like you should be able to, we should be able to compliment our friends and the people we love when they're making positive improvements in their lives and when they're getting healthy. And instead, a lot of times what I see with women is it's more of a negative, like put down. Like if you're not, if if everybody's having donuts and you don't have a donut, they're like, "Oh, I see you're you're being good." You know, it's like this like nasty kind of. I mean, um, it's like the, it's, what's weird to me is like uh, we, we're supposed to have. In fact, <laughs> let me like we're supposed to be triggered. Like, don't they're, they're get correct me if I'm wrong here, Carrie. They're basically saying this is triggering. Yes. Right, but. That is not triggering. That you can show me that all day long. That's a celebration of your body. Correct. But, that's empowering. But if you show me this, that's this, triggering. This is oppressive. This is they say this is oppressive. And the picture of the woman in Times Square, which she's a um 
a writer and a model, I believe. Uh, and she did an article where she's like, I went to stand in Times Square in my bikini. And I basically she wrote a piece about I expected to be fat shamed. But instead, there were guys who were into it, who were catcalling and whistling at me and talking about buttering my biscuits and how dare they. And I'm like, wow, you just went to be offended no matter what happened. Like if they if they <laughs> fat shamed you, you were ah, fat shaming. But then they're like, oh, we love it. She's like, how dare you? Right. And if they ignored her, she would have been like, they just they treated me like me. an object and ignored me and walked by me because they hate women or whatever it is. Um, right. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> matter. So, so let's, I want to unpack this a little bit because um, there have, they are making some arguments, some of these, some of these people. And so the one I, I, I went down a little rabbit hole last night and, you know, prepping for this show. Um, and there, there are some arguments from, from a few of these body positive or, or fat positive people who, who say, uh, actually it's not even, it's not even about health. Like health is unrelated. And so one of these people is Golda, uh, Paretsky. She's the founder of body love wellness. And she makes a couple claims. First of all, she says childhood obesity. There's a myth that childhood obesity is a problem. And she says, actually, it's not life. Childhood life expectancy continues to rise. Now, this is a really interesting logical fallacy here, right? Childhood obesity is a serious problem, and her argument for it's not is that childhood life expectancy rises. Well, there's lots of reasons. Probably the main reason childhood life expectancy rises is, is uh, postnatal, like it's, it's baby care, right? It's fewer infants dying from some reason that increases childhood life expectancy. Um, and it could be other things as well, like uh, treatments for leukemia or other childhood diseases that like, so the fact that childhood life expectancy is rising is not a counter argument to childhood obesity is a serious problem. And she also says something like, Oh, you know, um, it's kind of actually the, the trends for obesity have kind of flattened out over the years. So let's just, um, Let's let's trigger people and use some facts. So uh, I'm putting up a chart here of this is here. Let me let me make sure it's being presented here properly. So this chart is of. Um, Sorry, hold on one second. That's right. I'm just going to keep going. This chart is trends in adult overweight obesity and extreme obesity among men and women aged 20 to 74. So this isn't kids, but still let's. Let's talk about obesity for a second. And if you can see in the chart, on the extreme left, we're talking about this ranges from the 60s until present day. And some of these arguments they're making is, well, look, um, first of all, the the overweight men and overweight women hasn't changed a lot. It's relatively flat. It's, it's just some fluctuations, but it hasn't changed a lot. But obese men and women, so obesity is uh, uh, even, even higher body mass index than overweight. That has really spiked. And extreme obesity has really spiked both in men and women. It's it's you know near zero in the 60s, and for men and women, it's uh, almost it's almost uh, I don't know, it looks like seven percent, maybe five percent for men, seven percent for women, somewhere around there, eight percent. And then obesity for women and and men, we're talking like ten to fifteen percent for them, and then rising now to look looks like 30, 35 to forty percent. Um, and the fact that it's kind of the past few years maybe flattened at 35 to 40 percent or whatever that's that doesn't mean it's not an e epidemic and it doesn't mean it's not a problem so this was her um 
you know, now granted, she was talking about childhood obesity. So let's talk about, let's look at childhood obesity for just a second. Um, childhood obesity, this is trends in obesity among children and adolescents age two to 19. Again, she's, she's saying, well, it's not a problem. Well, I, I, look, it's gone up from the 60s. We're at like roughly below 5% here. And now we're up around almost 20%, 15 to 20%. Maybe for younger kids, it's maybe more like 10. But that's an, that's an enormous increase. 5% to 20%, that's a 4x And actually, increase. one of those stats I saw said um, 30% for children. Yeah, I, this is just the latest chart that I had. I mean, maybe it's, mm -hmm. maybe it's different. But the, the point is, there absolutely is a problem here. And to say that there's not a problem is just lie. It's, she's just lying. Um, and, and like I said, her, her argument is childhood life expectancy continues to rise. And she also says every attempt to make kids thinner has failed. Well, obviously that's patently false. I'm sure some attempts have worked. Um, maybe some of the institutional attempts that she would like to see happen, uh, have failed. Uh, granted, I don't, I don't disagree with that. Maybe they have, I don't know, but that doesn't mean it's not a problem and that we shouldn't and then try something else, right? That's the answer. It's like, oh, those attempts have failed. Try, try something else. So, so this is what, so this is kind of her mentality. And she goes on to say, um, she cites the study. She's got a Ted talk and she says, um, basically she's got this, this, she cites this study about, um, obesity and health factors and what the study says, I don't have it in front of me right now. I should have, I should have pulled it up. I don't know where it went. Um, oh, I think, I think I do have the PDF somewhere. It's just hard to display. Anyway, um, she cites the study and she says, look, this study, now this study is, um, da, 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 da. let's see if I can find it here. I can't find the, the date on the study. Anyway, the study had it, it's a long longitudinal study. I think there was a, tens of thousands of people in the study. And the study said, uh, it looked at like there's four different health uh, habits, things like not smoking or drinking and that kind of stuff. And if you did zero to three of those habits, right? So if you were in, you're in this group and you did zero to three of these habits regularly, um, your obesity mattered a lot in terms of your death. Uh, it mattered much. If you were obese, you're much more likely to die, right? But if you did all four healthy things, your obesity ceased to matter. Um, you, were, you were commensurate with everyone else who wasn't obese. And she cites this study as uh, proof that, in fact, being fat is unrelated to being healthy. Um, and there's a couple of problems with this. First of all, it's one study, and there is, we should do a show sometime, Carrie, on uh, the reproducibility of studies, but there has been like over the past several years, there's been a massive discovery that a lot of these studies are just totally unreproducible and, and crap. Yeah. But let's assume that the study is even correct. With, with like zero citation rates, a lot of them. Right. And so, and so, and you know, and people have tried to reproduce a lot of studies, but look, first of all, if a study tells you something that like being fat doesn't matter to your health, you should immediately be suspicious because it's extremely counterintuitive and counter to probably almost all of the personal experience you've seen, right? So you need a lot of proof with that, not just one study. But second of all, um, I did a little bit of 
math. By the way, <laughs> oh, hey, Lou. Lou is saying his parents call him out if he goes home and looks like he's gained weight. You should start calling me out, Lou, because I know I've probably gained weight in the past two years. Um, anyway, uh, I'll, I'll yell at you now that I know you want to be yelled at for gaining weight. Anyway, um, this study categorizes obese as a body mass index of 30 or more. And I think when we read these studies, you know, it's always people like uh, Tess Holliday or Anna O'Brien, who is the one that I just showed. Anna O'Brien is that one um, in here. I'll show you again in case you want to hurt your eyes. There's uh, there's Anna O'Brien in uh, the uh, in Times Square, right? And here's Anna O'Brien uh, looking. I think she's in Vegas there. Uh, yeah, sure, somewhere in Vegas. Fine, but um, anyway. So we always think of people like this, and those are the people that are kind of arguing for fat not being a problem. And, and this uh, Golda Paretsky is similarly uh, unhealthy. And so I thought, are we are we conflating a BMI of 30 plus with really enormous and egregiously fat? And it turns out that we are. So I looked up Tess Holliday's BMI, because Tess has her height and weight. They're available online. Um, Tess has a body mass index of 46.6. In order for Tess Holiday to hit the, like, reduce herself to the threshold of obesity, she would need to lose 100 pounds. So I think a lot of times we're looking at these studies, and even if they suggest it's not a huge problem, they're talking about people like me, who, like, I have a few extra pounds, my BMI is kind of dangerously hi, I'm like close to the obesity level, right? Because my BMI is high because I got extra pounds or whatever it is, right? They're talking about people that are like pudgier than normal. That's a high BMI and that's obese. And a lot of people are technically obese that we don't think are technically obese. Mm -hmm. But then you've got Tess Holiday and Golda Paretsky and these kind of people going out who are enormous. I mean, Tess Holiday is, uh, I forget how, she's 280 pounds, right? Um, that's not just obese, that's like, grotesquely obese and i don't even mean that aesthetically i just mean no like, that i think is they, there is a word i think obese. they call it extreme i think it's called extremely obese i think that's the clinical term i'm not sure sure but but that studies that's being cited in this stuff mm -hmm. they don't even have a category for that right? right and that's just one of those things that's kind of obvious obviously you're so let's go through i know i'm on a ramp but well, i just want to go through with some some facts here so i i looked up health risks related to obesity um, from both the CDC and WebMD and a few other sources. Extra weight makes you more likely to have high blood pressure, high cholesterol. Both of those conditions make heart disease or stroke more likely. Um, so, for example, in a study published in 2018, uh, or in April of this year, uh, adults between the ages of 40 and 59 who are overweight or obese have a significantly increased risk of developing cardiovascular disease from 21 to 85% higher. Hmm. That's a big deal, right? And and for them, um, overweight is 25 to 29.9 BMI and obese is 30 or higher. So you also have a higher risk of developing type 2 diabetes. You also have a higher risk of cancers, colon, breast, kidney, esophagus, pancreatic cancer. You have a higher risk of gallbladder disease, osteoarthritis, which makes sense. Your, your joints are carrying way more weight than they evolved to, to do. So you get knee, hip, back problems. Gout is a disease that affects the joints. Also happens when you have too much uric acid in your blood. That comes from fat deposits in joints. Or sorry, I can form crystals in the joints. And, and that can be related to being fat. Um, sleep apnea. 
Uh, also a breathing condition that is correlated to being fat and it makes heart, heart disease and stroke more likely. Um, there's, you know, mental disorders, uh, you know, general body pain, functioning, a bunch of stuff. So the truth is being fat is not healthy and it is, it's not just irresponsible to tell people that they should be proud of being morbidly obese, but it is, I think it's actually, uh, you, you really need to be sadistic um, to be out there telling people, you know, you, your 400 pound cottage cheese body looks awesome and there's no health risk, just go for it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what they're saying. That's the end of my rant. <laughs> they, I'm glad you brought the science because I, I didn't prepare with the science. And uh, and I should have told people, uh, I did. I have some guys working here in the house. And I, so all the dogs are in here with me and they might bark once in a while when they hear guys crawling around under the under the floor. Uh, but so I apologize in advance. Um, no, well, so the, the science that you're talking about, it's interesting because it, it I understand what you mean about sadistic, but I want to back up and talk about why they're doing this. They, 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 they developed a branch of what I call SJW ideology. You know, there's women's studies, there's critical race theory, there's LGBT studies, um, and now there's fat studies. It's actually, I mean, it's been around for a while. Um, and so, excuse me, they're teaching fat studies at a lot of colleges. They have classes like, you know, women, weightism, they call it weightism. Weightism is a bias or discrimination against people who are overweight. Um, but what they've done is they've taken the same ideology of and they and they've said, OK, so the oppressed people are people who are overweight and the oppressors are people who are not overweight. So this is why they view Maria Kang as an oppressor. This is why they hate her. Um, this is why they view the science as invalid, um, because they always dis disregard science if it doesn't fit their narrative. We've seen them do that with biological sex as well. Um, they hate facts. They hate, they hate, they're just as anti- no, no, they are, they are hate facts, right? There's a term, hate facts. Oh, hate right, facts. hate facts, yeah. <laughs> hate facts. Yeah. Well, the, the, the extreme left, the SJW left, the alt left is just as, if not more anti-science as the, it, as the people who deny evolution or, or what have you, they're just as anti-science. It just, it's a different type of science they deny. If something supports their narrative, then they're all about appeal to authority. This is what the scientists said. But if it doesn't support their narrative, then they immediately say, well, science itself is sexist and racist and ableist and fat phobic and all these different things. And it's, and it's uh, a tool of the patriarchy. And so science itself is something we should throw out. So it just depends on whether or not it supports them. It's completely um, flexible. Uh, but, but the reason that they're, they're just like the other studies, the other types of uh, intersectional studies uh, identity studies, they start out with the conclusion already in mind, and then they work backwards towards that conclusion. So that's why they don't care what the science says, because it has to fit in with their worldview that uh, that uh, weightism is a discrimination that exists, and that fat people are oppressed, and non-fat people are oppressors, and um, that it, it exists it, it, they say it exists in an intersectional way with other oppressions. Um, and so this is one field of study that has been taken, uh, has been accepted, I would say, by the SJW movement and totally incorporated. 
and completely like they're like, yes, this is a this is a way we can divide another way we can divide people. And it can be just like like here's a couple of check marks I was making when I was thinking about it. Um, does it pass the privileged and marginalized test? Yes. They, they, they say there's a group that's privileged here. There's a group that's marginalized. Does it intersect with the other accepted privileges and marginalizations? Yes. So within the ideology, the more boxes, the more marginalized boxes you can check off, the, the more power you have within the movement, the greater voice you have. Um, so of course they want to make it. Of course they want to make it one of the uh, fields of intersectional analysis because because they want to be able to claim I am oppressed. This is a this is a form of victim status and it's a form of like social currency to be able to check off these boxes within the movement. Um, it's viewed as your identity, but see, this is the part I think that's really dangerous. Just like the mental health issues, SJWs encourage people to wallow in whatever problems they have because it, they don't view it as being your, your, your problem. They actually view it as like, I'm so sorry. Hold on. That's okay. <laughs> So interestingly enough, while Carrie's getting the uh, the dogs, there's an article in in Bustle. Uh, yes, I read Bustle, but not all the time. Uh, there's an article. I, I don't know, Carrie, if you're hearing me. There's an article in Bustle I that do. says seven things you might not think are fat shaming that definitely are. You're definitely bad. And here's the seven things um, saying. I mean, I totally get it if people are fat because of a medical condition or something. So that's fat shaming, right? Which is like. Which is weird because they're taking your empathy, right? This is someone trying to be compassionate. Someone who says that is trying to be compassionate. Like, well, you know, not everyone that's fat can can solve it. I get it. And maybe there's like a medical condition. Look, I, I'm trying to give you some room and be compassionate. No, that's fat shaming. Um, you're not fat. You're beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I, I guess, although we do have beauty standards um, that, 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 uh, actually biologically relate to health and people don't view being fat as beautiful. So, you know, it's someone trying wait, to be wait. encouraging, I guess, I guess that's fat shaming as well. That, are they saying that you're not fat, you're beautiful is fat shaming? Yes. Oh, I see. Okay. So they're saying that if, if so, so someone's trying to compliment you, but they're saying it's a negative because they're, they're contrasting fat with beautiful. I see. Right. Just like, I mean, I totally get it. If, People are fat because of medical condition. Same thing, same thing, right? That's also fat shaming. The third one is, um, please stop calling yourself fat. Don't talk about yourself like that, right? Um, so this is like trying to encourage someone, like, don't think of yourself as fat. Like, think of yourself, like, don't, it's basically saying, don't identify as fat, <laughs> right? Uh, that's that's fat shaming. Got to identify as fat. Um, well, there's, there's a... Um a division in the movement. That's why some people call it fat positive movement and some of the SJWs call it the size acceptance movement because um, there's a portion that who believe that the word fat is pejorative and you shouldn't use it. But then there's another portion that believe that fat shouldn't be a pejorative. So we're going to reclaim it. Right. So right. clearly that's this camp here in this article, right? Right. It should be a pejorative. So stop using it as a pejorative. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so number four is actually the most interesting to me. Because this is not a statement you would say to anyone else about them. This is a statement you make about yourself, which is, ugh, I'm so fat. So you saying, you self-analyzing that I'm so fat, that is fat shaming. You're fat shaming yourself. 
<laughs> I guess, but like, who cares? Uh, but I think they, 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 I guess they don't want, I don't know. They don't want people to hear that. Um, telling someone they have such a pretty or handsome face is fat shaming. <laughs> By the way, uh, I've said that about skinny people that are just not attractive enough. I'm like, oh, it's pretty face. Mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, okay. So we'll back up for a second about the fat shaming yourself. They actually say, just like they do with the other isms, that like if you're a woman and you don't agree with the ideology, they call you internally misogynistic. You you are internally sexist. If you're a black person and you don't agree with the ideology, you're internally racist. You're self-hating, they say. Same thing with gay people. You're self-hating. If you don't agree with them, you're self-hating. And they do the same thing with, with weightism. Um, there are people who are like, hey, I'm fat, but I don't, I'm not down with this. Uh, SJW belief system where I'm an oppressed person and I don't have any agency and it's part of my identity forever and I can't be not fat. Um, and then they say that person's fat. They're fat shaming themselves, that they're fat phobic, internally fat phobic. Right. Because they it's want you to stay in that victimhood place. You don't have the ability to change it. They don't want you to think that you have the ability to change it. Um, or they don't want you to think that you're an individual. You are this person who's in a group. The group is oppressed. Uh, therefore, you know, you don't have any power and everything is the fault of someone else and not you. Right. Because if you don't feel like a victim, you're hard to manipulate. Um, right. and it's all about manipulating you. So, so yeah, you can't say that. Um, and you can't say they have a prettier, handsome face. I, what's not on here, which I would, <laughs> to me is like, I kind of feel like it's missing. Cause it's the thing that people say is like, oh, she has a great personality. <laughs> like that's oh, that's missing usually yeah. that's the thing you say when someone is fat like oh they have a great personality um okay <laughs> i can't believe i lost 20 pounds i feel amazing so you can't feel good and express it about losing weight that's not okay that's fat shaming that's what i um, mentioned before yes i've seen this before where people are celebrating their achievements and they're being shushed and and shamed by people within the movement because celebrating anything that's healthy or about your body or getting into shape is is oh you're it's 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 not about you it's about them because it's just so narcissistic you getting into shape is somehow it body shaming me like yeah it's exactly and i want to get into the psychology here in a minute okay. the last we'll just do the last one the last one is when you tell someone oh you're wearing that you're so brave i guess uh and they have a picture of a woman. Well, in a I mean, to be to be honest, that's a backhanded compliment. It really is. It doesn't matter if you say it to a fat person or not. Oh, you're wearing say. that. You're so brave. Like, yeah. shut up. I, I, I love I'll my American. It's like not for fat people. Just like you know, just in general, wearing that hat. You're very brave. It's like, <laughs> like I love this hat. Oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> so um, anyway, that's uh, that's a fat shaming one, but we got to put it in context of of fat shaming. So, um. You know, you mentioned this this weight discrimination concept before your your dog so rudely interrupted you. You were I talking know. about uh, weight discrimination. By the way, and by the way, this doggy here that I'm holding, this doggy, yeah. ten pounds overweight. That's what the doctor says. Uh oh. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, no, I think it was like two two pounds. No. Uh, you're a fat shaming pet owner. I know. So so knock it off, Carrie. <laughs> horrible, horrible person. Um. So I've also seen this claim from the, the, the movement here. They claim that weight discrimination actually increases the likelihood of obesity. And so it doesn't even help uh, if you um, weight discriminate. 
And I just want to pull this apart because a lot of times they, 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 they take these weird studies, they don't understand them fully, and they draw the wrong conclusion. Like the study I mentioned before, the right conclusion is in almost every like category of healthy habits, you shouldn't be obese because it's healthier to not be obese. And the last category, we don't, maybe not, we don't know, but there's no data for really, really extreme obese. In this one, it's a study that was it's a study of older Americans. They're all 50 or older. So it's this large longitudinal study, and it's a and people re report how they felt of like or were they did they feel discriminated against? And people who felt more discriminated against for their weight, um, they were likely to to gain more weight or remain obese than people who didn't feel discriminated against. So I, I just want to point a few things out that are that make this study study kind of a, a load of shit. One of them is that older Americans actually have, like older people, have a hard time changing anyway. You're dealing with a subset of people who are very stuck in their ways. So any kind of peer pressure to change or do anything is very unlikely to affect older people, right? You've, you've got a loss of brain plasticity by that point in your age. You, you've settled into your ways. So even if peer pressure helped, it probably would help less when you're older than when you're younger. That's just how peer pressure and neuroplasticity works. But the more important thing that I, I think is a problematic with this study is that this is not an objective measure of whether someone is discriminated against because they're fat. This is how they feel, right? And yes. you can imagine a bunch of reasons why the study would come out this way. It's quite possible that um, what they're measuring is a psychosomatic effect about like, well, people who tend to identify as fat and, and, and feel discriminated against and like have this victim mentality, don't have motivation to change because they have a victim mentality that they're being discriminated against. And that's why they don't change, right? So this study doesn't show anything really about the effect of, of uh, peer pressure or talking about getting healthier or talking about being thinner or talking about losing weight. Um, it's just this kind of... <sighs> sloppy study that's used to justify I'm 400 pounds and you can't say anything about it because uh, you know, don't, don't tell me it's unhealthy. Right. Um, and don't right. tell kids, right. There is a childhood obesity problem, despite what, uh, what's her face says. Um, don't well, tell kids to get healthy because, or get lose weight because, you know, and the other interesting thing that I, I, I wanted to bring up before we get into psychology. Well, first, first of all, I'll stop. I ranted. Do you have anything to add to that? Carrie? Sorry. <laughs> You were man I, I, I'm in rant mode. I know that. So. <laughs> uh, uh, no, I was just going to say the thing about children. That's just a great point because I think that's why this is so important is because they are teaching kids that this is completely healthy, that um, obese, that, that uh, obesity is something that to be uh, admired that, you know, Tess Holliday is a role model because of her weight. And we wouldn't do the same thing like you mentioned for other unhealthy, like we wouldn't have, we wouldn't, we do glorify smoking, but we wouldn't do it in that way. We wouldn't put a smoker on because this person chain smokes. We wouldn't put them on the cover of a magazine. And also, I mean, I've, I said this to you the other day, it's everybody has issues. Everybody has unhealthy habits. A lot of people have addictions because unhealthy habits can become addictions. A lot of people have things they could be better at or could, or could address in their lives that maybe they're not addressing for one reason or another. The problem is, I mean, 
overweight people, we just happen to see it because they wear their issues on the outside. It's like, or obese people, they wear it on the outside and not everybody wears their issue on the outside. Like, I don't know, you could have a gambling problem, Carter, and I have no idea. Right. <laughs> but, totally, I have a startup right. gambling problem and I should probably right. come clean on that. Um, <laughs> so that's an extra because, you know, it is, you're, you're vulnerable because people see you in the world for, you know, this is the thing you, you might be struggling with. Um, but it doesn't, the way to fix that, I don't, it's not to tell everyone that this is okay. It doesn't mean fat people, of course, you don't treat people with disrespect and you don't, you know, everyone should be treated with dignity. And I don't agree with the people who, I don't agree with the kind of fat shaming that like Milo talks about. Um, I, I like some of the things he says. I don't agree with the, like making fun of people though, because it doesn't do any good. It's like that doesn't help. That doesn't encourage people. Um, but similarly, I don't agree with the SJWs who say that you can't praise people for making positive changes. So right, and I think you and I might diverge a little bit. Where I think it's perfectly okay to make fun of people who have put themselves in the position of Tess Holiday. Like oh. I wouldn't call a, a regular fat woman any like I wouldn't fat shame a regular fat woman, but if if you're making your career out of uh, this kind of unhealthy role model stuff, I, I, I kind of feel like it's okay to. I actually, I agree that. with you there. That's an important distinction. I think people in the public eye, it's people. Are, you're going to be people are going to talk about what you're doing and talk about. There's and again, there's a difference between fat people and fat activists. Like I, right? I don't have a problem with mocking any type of SJW activist. <laughs> So I should probably be a little bit, I'm trying to develop more compassion for people who believe what I used to believe. So, but sometimes fair, I fail. Fair. Well, you brought up this interesting point of role models and, and what it made me think of um, was, you know, feminists talk about this a lot and, and uh, you know, the, the Venn diagram of feminists and SJWs overlaps quite a bit. Um, so, you know, we always hear that little girls need STEM role models, like, oh, how do we expect little girls to be engineers if they don't see women engineers? Which I think that argument is bullshit anyway, but that's a separate issue. The The argument is like, kids need to see um, people of their gender and or race succeeding in certain areas in order for them to grasp that they can succeed in those areas. And they need role models for that. So um, you need STEM role models for little girls in order for little girls to go into STEM. Well, if role models have that much of an impact, what is Tess Holiday doing, right? You are modeling obese mm -hmm. body, like you're modeling unhealthy behavior, right? You're you're modeling something that's it's like modeling smoking, right? It's it's exactly what you were saying. It's like here's a chain smoker, she's great because she's a chain smoker. Look how proud she is of her chain smoking. That's very interesting, Carter, because see, that's okay. Here's the difference. They have successfully incorporated obesity into the postmodern neo-Marxist ideology, which I call SJW ideology, or the identitarian left, which is uh, what Helen Pluckrose calls it, who I adore. You guys should look her up. Um, but uh, uh, they've successfully incorporated it into that. And so this is now a considered a discriminated this, this is a class that's being discriminated against they're being oppressed and so therefore therefore they need to see this group represented in the media it's they don't they don't view it as the same way they do a smoker because smokers haven't been incorporated into although i'm sure there are some smokers who are trying and who are like we're you know we're oppressed we have to smoke outside like we're the the <laughs> not smokers are the they're the oppressors they're more oppressed than fat people actually but that's a separate <laughs> issue 
They are actually oppressed. You can discriminate against smokers in establishments. You can't kick fat people out of your bar. Exactly. So, but but for whatever yeah. reason, smokers haven't yet incorporated themselves, and they're trying. Just like PETA, the animal rights activists are really trying hard to use the social justice language to incorporate animal rights into this whole intersectional, you know, ideology as well. But but sure. fat studies is is a thing. Um, weightism is something they're teaching people now. So they have successfully incorporated it into the pedagogy. Like this is something they're they're uh, teaching kids in school. And so for that reason, you it's the opposite of what you're saying. They believe that it's not a negative to show obese people in the media, that we it is our moral imperative to show obese people in the media. Right, but that means you're gonna get more obese people. Like that's the that's the you know, you show STEM women because you want more women in STEM, you want girls to grow up to be in STEM. Right. Well, if you show more obese women, you'll get more obese, you'll get girls growing up to be obese women. And like, their answer to that is yay. Right, which is a bad sick. thing. <laughs> yes. And that is demented and horrible. Um, I want to point out, uh, I ran across this funny article um, on Age of Shitlords. I don't even, I've never been to this site, but I like the name. Uh, and they had this article, which is, why do feminists always draw themselves to look thinner? And I'm going to pull up. This is the best ever. So there's this woman. Uh, let's see. Let's see if that's up. That is up. Let me. Uh, well, it's, it's up while I'm talking. So while I'm talking about it, you'll be able to see the image. So there's this woman. Her name is uh, Rochelle Abelar. And she is a designer, a fat activist. And she says a cat mom, which uh, means she's single. And she's the founder of PNW Fatitude, a group that hosts events for people of size in an effort to foster a fat positive community in the Pacific Northwest. So that this is her description on, on uh, the website that she's a part of here. So it's a feminist website that this is taken from. And just take a look at, on the picture here, take a look at her avatar. So... What you see is on the, uh, I think it's on the left uh, for everyone. What you see on the left, this is the, this is how she views herself and how she presents herself to the world on her avatar. And then here are some, on the right are some pictures of what she actually looks like in real life. And, you know, aside from the hair not being as purple, the thing that, the first thing that I noticed about this was she's like three times the size as her avatar is. She is much heavier than her avatar. And uh, I don't know. At first, I was like, I don't know what this means. Like, wh why is this? Why are she, like, if she's a fat activist, as she calls herself, why isn't she, why isn't her avatar rec like showing her weight? Um, so I think there's some psychological, I mean, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I kind of want to talk about psychology and get your thoughts on it, Carrie. I feel like there's some, psychological dysfunction to these people and um before i kind of have my own theories about it i do you think that there's like psychological issues here well yeah i i definitely think with a lot of sjw's i was talking about this with a friend the other day i think that there are a lot of psychological mental health issues that are being um if not caused somewhat caused by the by the ideology that are being encouraged, like pe ex people with existing problems are being encouraged to um, to take those problems and use them as a form of identity instead of trying to to uh, to address them. Yeah. 
Um, this is why you see on their Twitter bio stuff like, you know, we've mentioned before, but it's like, you know, queer, you know, uh, black, femme, uh, depressed, right. like they'll put whatever the, the si mental health issue they have is like, this is my identity, depressed, fat, you know, and it, and it's just this never ending chain of all the marginalizations. Right. Um, right. I'm getting, I'm getting on a tangent, but yes, I do think there's a psychological issue there because she's clearly saying one thing, which is that fat is okay and it's cool. And I love my fat identity, but then she's presenting herself outwardly, um, not fat. So there, there, that's kind of, it's, it's not congruent. Um, and, and I, I think there is a lot, well, I've worked with people who um, say one thing about fat positivity, but then secretly do uh, plastic surgery and all kinds of crazy diets. <laughs> so there, there are people who obviously there's hypocrisy in a lot of different ways, but um, yeah, you mentioned, uh, I won't say her name, but you mentioned like a famous person that you had worked with before who you said she would be totally <laughs> ostracized from the community if they knew that she had like liposuction yes. and all this other stuff. Cause she's supposedly fat positive or whatever. Yeah. 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 So it, I, this is just, you know, I, I like this, this age of Shitlords article has, a uh, uh, some good examples in it. Um, I'll actually post the URL. I'll do this right now. I'll post the URL in the chat for people to look at, but it's something that I think you notice if like, if you start to notice it, it's really fascinating. Um, a lot of feminists do have avatars that are much thinner. Um, and, and my, my suspicion is that fat activists who have avatars are probably thinner, thinner avatars as well. Um, so I, this psychology thing I think was interesting and Obviously, I, I don't have access to everyone's childhoods. That's not a super easy thing to find. But I did start to look. And oh, I yeah? looked up, oh, yeah. yeah. I looked up <laughs> Tess Holiday and I looked up uh, Virgie Tovar. These are two, um, you know, so Tess Holiday, uh, she's the one on the Cosmo magazine that we showed earlier. Um, and Virgie Tovar is, she's listed as one of the nation's leading experts and lecturers on fat discrimination and body image. She's the founder of Babe Camp, a four-week online course focused on helping people break up with diet culture, and the editor of Hot and Heavy, Fierce Girl, or sorry, Fierce Fat Girls on Life, Love, and Fashion. Okay. So, um, and of course, she writes about intersectionality, because why not? So, um, I look, so those two... Again, not a lot of information about people's childhoods, but right away I saw an interesting, I won't say pattern develop because it's, it's not a big enough sample size, but um, Tess Holiday. <clears throat> her mother left her father when she was a young child and she claims her family moved 40 times before she turned 10. So clearly there's some dysfunction in her family. Didn't have a dad around. And then... <clears throat> Her mother was paralyzed and disabled after she was shot twice in the head by her fiance. Wow. So clearly Tess Holiday had either no father figures or like toxic men. And toxic men is kind of common in single mother um, communities, right? Like single mothers often attract more toxic men. So Tess had clearly no really good father figure growing up, or at least from what we can tell, right? Virgie Tovar. Uh, Virgie doesn't talk about her father at all, so we don't know, but she does say she was raised by her grandmother, and she only ever mentions her grandmother and mother. So again, I looked at this and went, hmm, this is weird. And then, then I read about her grandmother. Uh, 
her grandmother spent years telling strangers that she was ugly. So horrible people that are raising these, right? This that is her like, granddaughter oh. was ugly? Yes. Right? Um, growing up, I remember, this is her talking about her grandmother. Growing up, I remember watching her triumphantly wear the clothes I'd outgrown after another failed diet. When I was a kid, um, I watched her cry almost every day because she was so unhappy about her marriage and her experience of motherhood. But she never missed an opportunity to speak mercilessly about other women who were single or child-free, blah, blah, blah. But um, let's see. Hold on. I had to be the golden child, the center of the universe. As long as I put myself last, there had never been room for me, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, she she kind of goes on and talks about her grandmother. And look, the fact that her mom is alive and her grandmother raised her, that's not a good sign. Doesn't seem to be a mention of a father. And doesn't seem like the grandmother was particularly empathetic. Um, I can't imagine telling people this, my grandchild's ugly. Like, I, I can't imagine that, let alone doing it in front of her. Um, but, uh, you know, what a messed up childhood. So, look, I, to me, obviously that's not a pattern and it's not proof of anything. So I'm not, I'm not claiming that I know anything about uh, a pattern here or their specific psychological issues. But it does make you kind of go, hmm, that's interesting. Neither one of you had a father there. And neither one of you, which also means... Neither one of you saw what a healthy relationship between adults looks like, right? Um, growing up as children, and and it sounds like a, you know you were probably both both of these both Tessa and Virgie were probably in pretty horrible. It, it doesn't sound moving forty times before you're ten, having your mom shot by her fiance. That's not a sign of a good life, um, and and a, and a good upbringing. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of this is just stemming from psychological trauma as, as a child and. You know what? I don't have to be a therapist to, uh, yeah. to claim. That's my theory. That's my theory. No, I think a lot of things that people are dealing with in adulthood stem from childhood trauma or, you know, we've talked about that before as well. Um, the difference is, or not the difference, the danger with this kind of belief system, in, in my opinion, is that it, like I said, it encourages people not to address those issues that stem from the childhood trauma. Um, or to use the trauma as an excuse forever to stay in it. You know, it's like what Eckhart Tolle calls living in your pain body, um, yep. where you just are constantly living in the pain that you suffered as a child and then looking for that pain for the rest of your life, whether that whether to inflict that pain on others and make them feel what you felt or to receive it over and over and over again, like looking for people to give it to you. Um, <clears throat> I don't, it's not exactly what I, I, I'm moved psychologist <laughs> but but i that book really helped me in terms it you know what if you've ever met people who've graduated with degrees in psychology i don't think you have to be intimidated by making up your own shit because they seem to be yeah uh, <laughs> they're not the sharpest knives in the drawer generally anyway so um yeah well anyway that book really helped me in terms of learning how to at least start to try to address things that are maybe patterns repeated from childhood that in adult life so um, anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. Eckhart Tolle. Yeah, no, no, I think, but um, it's a good tangent. And, and, uh, I wanted to you know, say I think that. I'm pro therapy. So people should be, I, I think in many ways, therapy is good. And I think a lot of times when we see this kind of dysfunction in adults, it's, uh, it just, it, they need therapy, not, um, not politics. Yeah. What were you going to say? 
Well, I was going to say, because I know we're getting close to the end, and I actually was reading through some of the stuff that I, some of the articles that have come out. So in, in the mainstream media now, they are starting to get on board with this idea that obesity is okay and it's not unhealthy. Um, and it, and when they don't, they get properly shamed on by SJWs on Twitter. So this year, earlier this year, I think it was the cancer, was it the Cancer Society? I wrote it down. Oh, Cancer Research UK on Twitter. They they posted um, something about how ob obesity is a cause of cancer. Like behind smoking, obesity is the second cause of cancer. And then they were, again, there's a deluge, of course, of outrage from SJWs. Take this down. You don't know how much harm you're doing. You can't tell people that obesity and cancer are correlated. Like, you know, absolutely not. And there were fat positive uh, role models and activists. One of them is a comedian named Sophie Hagen, I believe. She was kind of leading this war against them. And um, so they're being shamed if they're not getting on board with this new idea that obesity is cool. Um, so I was reading some of that stuff, but he here's the positive. There are things I agree with in some of it. Like, again, it's not, it's not helpful to make fun of people. Like, it's helpful to make fun of activists. I think it's not helpful to make fun of everyday people <laughs> who are struggling. To make fun of activists that are social justice warriors. Yes. Yeah. But it's not helpful to make fun of people who are struggling. Um, and so I agree with them on that. And that self-esteem issues play a factor. I agree with them on that. Um, I also agree with them that we should focus more, perhaps, on wellness and strength and exercise, and less on weight and calorie counting and. Um, but I don't agree with them that we shouldn't focus on diet. They always mention don't focus on diet. And, and here's what I mean by that. Diet should be thought of as the way we eat, like not, li not like a fad diet, like a restrictive. Right. Not a diet, but diet. Not a diet, but diet. So yes, we should focus on diet because that's a major contributing factor, but not on these fad diets that you do to, for a short amount of time and you lose a bunch of weight. And then of course you rebound and gain it all back. Um, but right. focusing on what people are putting into their bodies, absolutely. I mean, the food pyramid, I know a lot of people are talking about this lately, but the food pyramid is wrong. Or I think the food it's pyramid is wrong. Down, almost, right? yeah. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> um, yeah. anyway, there's, there is overlap. I think it's just that they always, like they always do, they take good intentions and they take the desire to help people and they manipulate it and peep in the power seeking um, bad actors in this movement who are just looking for uh, more power, more fame, or justification for their hatred and resentment. Um, they are manipulating the people with good intentions and are saying like, here, stay in this victimhood and go be mouthpieces for this ideology and don't do anything in your individual life to get better at all. Um, just accept this as a form of your identity and because you have no power. And that pisses me off. And I don't agree with that part of it. <laughs> like I don't agree with yeah, look, I mean, I, yeah. I think that's general about um, the left, right? The left generally likes people to be so, you know, it's, it's odd, right? Cause the less the left, if you think about kind of the origins of the Marxist left, it, it come from, it came from this idea of like uh, society is stratified into different classes. Right. And you know, instead of saying that shouldn't be the way it is, like we should we should have mobility. You should be like if you're fat now, you could not be fat later. And if you're poor now, you could not be poor later. Like instead of having an empowering philosophy, I think part and parcel to the left's fundamental ideology is um, that people are kind of immutable and they are stuck in there. There's like a, a sense of of determinism. And well, if you're born poor, you're always going to be poor. And so 
yes therefore capitalism is not going to help you uh we just need to you know string up some rich people and and steal their loot or you know if you're born fat you're just gonna be fat like that's 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 the way it is um and uh you know i i think that i don't think it's unique to just the fat shaming stuff but um you know you and i were reading a story the other day and jason just i don't know if you talked to jason about this uh your i think he's your friend jason jason m on on chat but uh he brought up the exact same story that we were reading the other day which is vonnegut's uh, harrison Berger, bergeron uh, oh i didn't talk about it? it with him this is well, a great story uh, so i this is kurt vonnegut i had forgotten about this story and then my friend uh tamara reminded me of it and it's a really short story everyone should go and read it um do you want to tell them about it well i mean sure i mean it, it is a short story it's a great story you can you can find it online easily um and you know it's a it's about this futuristic society where they have this goal of making everyone equal and what vonnegut really understands when he writes this story is that i think a lot of people when they think about um making everyone equal they think about getting more for themselves. They're always looking up, right? So, you know, they're looking up at Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates and like, I want to be more equal to Mark Zuckerberg, right? Um, you know, I, I want some Ferraris in a mansion or whatever it is. Um, but the truth is there's only because there's such a wide spectrum of uh, human ability and, you know, attributes. They, they There's a huge bell curve for a lot of different attributes. There's you can't magically make everyone, you know, look like bad Brad Pitt and be as smart as Mark Zuckerberg and as successful as Jeff Bezos and what, like you can't, you can't do that for everyone or Richard Feynman or whatever you can't without handicapping people. Well, you can't make everyone that good, <laughs> yeah. right? but you can make everyone that bad. You can't go yeah. to the top of the bell curve and be like, Oh, we're going to make everyone here equal. We're going to push everyone to the top. That's not possible, but you can, push everyone to the bottom, right? You can chop people's legs off and do whatever. Like you can, you can handicap everyone. Uh, and the, the story, this Vonnegut story is really about a society where they handicap, they handicap smart people by, um, putting little, uh, like receivers in their ears so that like they blast noises at them so they can't concentrate and think and you get more blasts, I guess, depending on how smart you are. And they, they handicap, they handicap Pretty Physical. people by putting ma like ugly masks on yes. them, the prettiest people. Yep. They, they put masks on people. Um, they have to make them wear weights and that kind of thing. And so, of course, the most, um, the best people have the, the biggest weights and the biggest, you know, then the biggest handicaps, right? And if you're best in some attribute, obviously you have the worst, uh, you know, you carry the biggest weight or the biggest uh, impediment in that attribute. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think I'm, we're not the only people to say this, but, you know, I, and I think we've, I might have even said it on this show previously, but the, the Marxists, you know, they're happy if everyone's starving equally, right? Like that's, that's what they're, that's better for them than a society where, um, you know, I don't get steak every day and Jeff Bezos does. Right. Well, they're right. happy if everyone's equal in the rubble. Yes, like we've talked in the rubble, except here's the way I think they think about it. The elite, the academics, the ones who at the, you know, the the top colleges who are pushing this bullshit, um, 
they believe they're going to be ruling over all, uh, everyone in the rubble because they're so in, they're so they're the ones who implemented this intellectual way of making utopia. And I think they truly believe a lot of those people believe, well, but it's not going to affect me because I'm going to be up here telling all the little people how to live and how we can all have a utopia. It really is right. about power for them. Make everyone else equal, but power for them. But the thing is, they're going to be in the rubble, too. There will only be a few yeah, of them up there. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, none of the intellectuals will be up there, I don't think. And and no. the, and, the, and this is and here's the fundamental reason. In, in order to – we're kind of off on a tangent, and it's late, but I don't care. We'll keep going. In order to have a society where you are handicapping everyone of some kind of ability or you're kind of pulling everyone down to make them, quote, equal – you need to initiate the use of force against people, right? People aren't going to voluntarily gouge their eyes out so that they can't see as well as other people who are blind. Like that's, you need to, you need to force that on people. And whenever you introduce force as the fundamental uh, component of your society, like oh, we're built on forcing people to do things, the people who win are the most ruthless users of force. Attila the Hun wins that battle, right? If you want to, if you want to have a battle where we force people, the sociopath wins, right? That like, or the, the psychopath, the guy who's willing to kill wins. Um, and so as soon as it becomes this battle of like, well, who's willing to use more force to push the society the way that we want, you end up with people willing to use the most force. You end up with Hitler's, you end up with Stalin's, you end up with Pol Pot, right? You end up with the Khmer Rouge where, uh, you know, did you go to college? You get shot. You have glasses? You get shot because that must make you smart. Like, that's what you you end up with. Brutes run the world when you make the world about forcing people to do things because force inherently is anti-intellectual. And so all these intellectuals who think we're going to build a society where we force people to do things and we're going to be at the top, they're dead wrong. Yeah. Right? Attila the Hun's going to be at the top of that society, buddy, and you're going to be in a fucking ditch. Yeah. And they're actually, I would, I agree with all that. I would add a caveat, which is that you actually can get people to handicap themselves up until a point, and then you have to start using force. So I, yeah. I see this happening yeah. now. Yeah. So this is what, when you see men in a conversation who are like, oh, you're a woman, I don't want to mansplain to you. So I'm not going to have an actual conversation with you. <laughs> like men who rob themselves of their voice because they're more privileged and therefore like that they are handicapping themselves and they're actually really yeah. insulting me because hey i'm a person i'm worthy of having a conversation right. with we're not i'm not some diminutive like i'm not down here like so but no no um, no Carrie, i need to help you be able to express yourself and have agency so it's so uh, condescending it's let so me mansplain to you about how mansplaining is bad yes it's so condescending. But so anyway, I see that happening. Um, this is how, so they're using these privileged and marginalized classes. And it's really common in this world. And you'll see it online. You see it in colleges um, where they're basically saying, if you are a member of a privileged group and you're talking to someone who's a member of a marginalized group, uh, and, and it's crazy because it's like, how do you balance all the different privileges and marginalizations? But um, that as a privileged person, you're supposed to shut up and listen. And there are plenty of people who are, pushing this ideology and are, are almost virtue signaling about their willingness to uh, consider themselves like so privileged that they can't have a, they shouldn't open their mouth and like robbing themselves of voice. And so they, they do a lot, they do get people to handicap themselves up until a point. And the other thing I'll say about that is it's not just handicapping themselves. They get people to, people are afraid to say anything about it. So 
the reason I started talking was because, oh, I started to wake up to the fact that this ideology I was believing in was not liberalism. I had been told it was liberalism, but it wasn't. And I'm like, whoa, this is illiberal. Um, the stuff that started happening after Trump was elected is what really put me off um, yep. or, or woke me up to what, what this really was that I had been preaching for so many years. Um, but what they do is they scare actual liberals and they scare people on the left who or maybe beliefs have have been have bought into some of these tenets, but not all of them. And they scare them from speaking about it for good reasons. Like people don't want to lose their job. People in academia, in in um in tech, in the entertainment world, like you can lose your job for talking about this stuff, for going against the orthodoxy, for for saying that you you can get kicked off Twitter. This just happened last week for saying men are not women. You know, you 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 yeah. you can be banned from Twitter for a day, like Fit Mom, for talking about how obesity is is not healthy. So uh, yeah. people aren't speaking, and and what what that is handicapping themselves. They're they're too afraid to talk, and they're not saying anything. But see, this is when you should be saying something, because it right. only gets worse from here. And and later on, you're going to be like, why didn't I say something when it was easy? Easier. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's something else that you brought up there when you were saying. Um, quote, privileged people are supposed to keep their mouths shut and they they just learn to be quiet. Um, there's something that strikes me about that's it's kind of oddly self-defeating in this as an as an even as a as a strategy. Let's assume that there is a privileged uh we'll call it the the white patriarchy or whatever. There's some institutionalized privileged class, right? And uh and and they all have they all run things somehow. Well, if you're marginalized, you don't have access to like the information and the opportunity. Like you don't have, you don't have access to that. The best way to lock you out is just to not tell you about it. It's just to not talk about it. It's not like, actually, if I have a bunch of, it's like information is really power. So if I've got a lot of information and I can teach you about a topic, but I'm not going to teach you about a topic because you're not in the mar you're not in the privileged class you're in the marginalized class so i'm just going to get let you spout your ignorance and you're never going to learn then you're going to you're going to stay quote marginalized you're never going to gain knowledge and learn because no one's going to teach you because everyone's afraid to teach you anything because you are in the marginalized class and no one can speak at you so that's a it, very interesting point i haven't thought about it that way but yes it's like you you are like you're guaranteed to remain in ignorance if if you are someone who's in ignorance, yeah, you're because you're not allowed to. Um, well, you always disagree. start off ignorant. Everyone's ignorant yeah. at the beginning, right? And how many times? Look, I mean, you and I are both, <clears throat> you know, old, um, older. You know, we're not hey. twenty anymore. Hey, now right? <laughs> <laughs> we're in our whatever age, right? I, I think. Look, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I think we're about to enter a uh, marginalized group. All right, like the the elderly. <laughs> no, I'm gonna trigger you, Carrie. Um. <laughs> No, neither one of us are 18-year-olds anymore, right? How many times in our lives have we been wrong about something or learned something or changed our mind because someone corrected us and told us and said, like, actually, that thing you believe is stupid and it's wrong and here's why. A, B, C, D, blah, blah, blah. We change our minds. We learn. It happens to me almost all the time. It's it's happened, you know, with some really important things in my life and, and you as well. And that could never happen if I was a member of some class where people were like, well, don't argue with him. I'm... I know what he's saying is stupid and he's like totally ignorant on this subject, but you know, he's in that class where you, you can't tell him the truth. Right. I mean, how that is, I mean, that's bigotry. 
That's that's absolutely bigotry, and it's. Uh, I'd rather have someone tell me I'm ugly and horrible, but tell me the truth about other it's, stuff. Than... It's condescending. Again, it's condescending. It's like you're not uh, on my level, so I can't talk to you. And you're such a. It's the same thing with comedy. I know we have to do an entire episode about comedy, but it's like you can't yeah. make fun of uh, certain groups because they can't take it. Like they, but you can make fun of these other groups. But these groups are so frat. Like what? What are you talking right. about? Like that is yeah. White males have. Or they have thick skin. You can take they they can take a joke, but uh, don't joke about the black Muslim females because they'll like every the, it, it to protect certain. It's all this protect. Uh, I think Jonathan Haidt calls it safetyism. We have to protect these groups, and we have to protect this. And it's out of this uh, misguided. Well, I don't know. I think some of it is because a lot of the people, a lot of the women in this movement are childless, and so we've talked about this before too. They're they're directing their um, tendency to want to to care for people and to empathize with yeah. the marginalized. And so they're looking for marginalized groups all the time. It's like, right. And, and that's, you know, we could probably do a show on this too, right? That's the, often that's the male female dynamic in, uh, in raising children is like the mom is the very protective nurturing one. And the dad is the one that's like, yeah, yeah. Let him break a leg or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like let him, <laughs> let him try, you know, whatever. Um, and you know, the, the problem is, uh, we're not letting anyone quote break a leg. We're not letting anyone get their feelings hurt. We're not like it's it's it is this kind of we you know you see it sometimes where moms like over baby their older kids and they're trying to like keep them keep them as a keep them as a dependent baby running to mom all the time. And uh, in fact, people there's a term mama's boy is like this like kind of derogatory term for people who are kind of stuck in this you know always being babied by mom. And, and there's, and there's tension there, right? There's people complain about that. And, and it's usually the father who's like, you know, make him grow up and, you know, cut it out, stop babying him. Right. But we are, we're in this society where like, we're babying everyone. We've taken all the quote marginalized people and anyone that we can make up marginalization for like obese people and just say like, let's baby them. Let's just, let's enable any dysfunction. Let's protect them from any truths. Let's just baby them. Um, and obviously that doesn't uh, uh, that doesn't um, end well. In fact, Jason says uh, Jordan calls it the devouring mother archetype. I don't know that. Yes, archetype. the devouring mother, and it's also it's like short term love versus long term love. It's not corrective love. It's not love. You I don't call that love. Yeah, it's what well, they think That's it not is. Love. They're like it's like the person who you know gives candy every time the kid asks for it. it. You're pleasing that kid at that moment, but you're not helping that kid. You're not. Loving that kid yeah, in the right way for later. Love, it's conflict avoidance. Yeah. All right. That's all it is. It's just conflict avoidance. This has been fun. Right. I could talk a long time, but uh, about this. Yeah. No, I, we we should probably stop yeah. too. But um, <laughs> yeah, this has been this has been super fun. Um, I do agree with you that uh, there is that level of self censorship, but I don't think it can last. And um, well, we know it can't last, right? Because it create it breeds resentment. It's just like being in a relationship where like there's that like slow drip of something annoying, and if you don't address it early on, it just builds up and builds up and builds up until it it blows up in some way. And that's all that's happening right now. It's like it's these it's these little things, and yeah, maybe people are self censoring, but eventually, all those tiny little things will add up into a, a backlash, which is. Uh, probably going to be counterproductive and dangerous, but it's going right. to happen because, because they get you to accept little lies at first and to be not say anything about it. Like men, right. men are not women. You can't say that. And people go along with it. And then, you know, obesity is healthy. Well, 
people go along with it. I mean, there's enough lies that they get you to accept until everything is lies. Like it, it starts small. So yeah, of course it starts small. I mean, it, it always starts small. You can't just, and honestly, I think the, the end result of all of this is something like the Harrison Berger and Bergeron uh, mm -hmm. story. Like that's where this goes. And obviously things can't actually get there. That's a science fiction story, but um, you know, things go in that direction until they don't right. Until there's yeah. backlash. Like that's what yeah. happens. Right. And, but sometimes that backlash doesn't happen until after there's mass graves. Right. Like, right. I actually think this is uh, why, cause I went on a, a mission to try and figure out why Trump won. And I know everybody has their reasons for why they believe he did actually at one of our great, one of our civility dinners, that was a great question where everyone in the room answered that question. Why do you think he won? And because we have people on yeah. the right and left in the center, it was really interesting to hear people's answers. But one of the big reasons I think he won is that, is that he's part of the backlash against this insanity. And so some, and so it, all the negative things about him, whatever, like people are willing to accept that because, because they viewed him as someone who would not, as who would push back on this insanity. And that was enough. Um, yeah, and I'm absolutely. starting to understand that more. So yeah, I've, I've spoken to a number of people that believe that and, and, and specifically his backlash against this kind of cultural Marxism in the media. Right. And, um, you're and not I'll allowed to say cultural Marxism. They've taken Sorry. those words from us. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, but no, man, I would put myself in the camp of like, you know, he's done a bunch, Trump's done a bunch of stuff I don't like. Um, and he's not philosophical in any way. And so I don't like that. And I don't think he gets what makes America great, actually. Um, so he can't really bring it back. However, um, you know, the the one of the great things that I think he's doing, and again, I've talked to a lot of people who agree with this, is like, he is, he's a wrecking ball for cultural Marxism, trigger word, and uh, and the and the mainstream media's normalization of mm -hmm. of SJW ideology. And yeah, is he eloquent about it? Hell no. Uh, is he does he say it and and uh, does he explain it in an, in an intellectual manner? No, but he does give it the middle middle finger. and it's grotesque and it's crass and it is uncouth and it's unpresidential in many ways from, from what we think about as presidential, mm -hmm. but it's effective and yeah. someone needs to give him the middle finger. And that's enough for people to be like, yeah. Uh, they're, like, they're like, I'll pick the guy that's willing to stand up to it no matter what, you know? Right. Right. And, and if and, the Democrats want to win, like, hello, there's all people like me who are part of the walk away movement. You're not, they're not listening to why we're leaving and they're right. not listening. You know, if you, anyway, anyway, this is another, this is another topic. <laughs> yes, it's a total other topic, and we're over time. But okay. this was an awesome conversation, uh, Carrie. So, um, really enjoyed it as as usual. And next week, who knows what we'll talk about? But uh, join us uh, next week at 11 a.m. Pacific for Deprogrammed. Um, thank you, everyone, for watching and for following us. You can go to uh, Twitter and follow us at unsafe show. You can go to unsafeshow.com and support the show there. Patreon.com slash unsafe space. Um, Facebook, bunch of spots. We're now we're on bit shoot minds and gab for those of you who are there. So just look for unsafe, unsafe space. And this particular show with Carrie every week is called deprogrammed. And like I said, it's at uh, 11 on Thursdays. Thanks again, everyone. Take care.